0: turn in your bibles to isaiah chapter 25 for our first reading and our second reading is in luke chapter 2 so you can turn there and then once you sit down you're going to want to go back to isaiah 25 that's we're going to be focusing the main portion of our time
1: Uh, if you have the pew bibles that is on page isaiah 25 is on page 586 Please pay attention to the reading of God's holy word. On this
0: mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations.
1: Turn now with me to Luke chapter two. If You have the pew Bible that is on page 857. Luke chapter two, verses eight through 14.
0: And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased.
1: This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. God, as we come this morning
0: uh, to hear from you, God, we need to hear your word. We need ears to hear. God, we ask that you would speak clearly. God, that you would help your people to hear what your word has to say to us, God, that we would take it to heart and that we would go out from here and live out the truths from your word in our lives, in this world, uh, so that the world might rejoice and also say glory to
1: God in the highest. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. Uh, Again, you will want to uh, open up your songbooks to
0: page 27, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. We'll be referencing that as we continue looking at the theme of Come Thou Long Expected Jesus.
1: And then we'll be in Isaiah 25 mainly. All right. Well, as we come
0: now to the end of another year, as we reflect back on 2021, it is fitting for us to consider both the joys and the hardships of life in a fallen world. As we were reminded in our congregational prayer, there is no shortage of needs to be prayed for. There's no shortage of injustices to be lamented. And there is no shortage, shortage of sorrows to be healed. As we talked about introspection and reflection, which are, are good things, there is, however, a danger inherent in our reflection. And that is that our eyes will be too firmly focused on the here and now, too firmly focused on ourselves. What is wrong with the world that needs fixing? What is wrong with our own hearts that still needs fixing? And as a people of God, we are always walking this tightrope of trying to balance the calling to serve those around us, to preserve and to promote life around us, while not clinging tightly to our own lives and realizing that we are aliens and strangers on this earthly pilgrimage. And this is a constant challenge that we face. It's a constant tension that we see throughout scripture. In order to properly look back and reflect then, we must simultaneously have our eyes firmly fixed on our savior for he is the unchanging one, the one who is not shaken, the one who is not surprised or thrown out of rhythm by the events that we experience or that believers in the church around the world experience. This is not some call for a pie in the sky, dismissal of the grief and the hardship that is faced by all of us due to sin. It is, however, a call to a realistic acknowledgement that there is something greater going on. There's something, something greater going on beyond what our physical eyes can see. It's a reality that is only seen with the eyes of faith, and it is only taken hold of by those whom Christ has taken hold of. As we've been considering the verses of come now long expected Jesus and some of the scripture passages that highlight what the song is trying to communicate. We've seen this theme of longing, especially as we look at the Old Testament people of God, how they're longing for the Messiah and then fulfillment in Christ. So again, there's this looking backward to the longing and looking forward to the fulfillment. That was the focus of our Christmas Eve message on Friday, longing and fulfillment. We looked at Isaiah chapter 11 and then we saw fulfillment in the New Testament. Well, now as we come to this third verse, there is a particular truth here that's highlighted that hasn't yet been mentioned. And these truths are mirrored here in the first and second half of the verse. If you look at the first two lines and then the fifth and sixth lines, it captures this truth of the pre-incarnate Son of God taking on flesh. He is the one whose glories knew no end in line two, who came to earth to taste our sadness. Also, we see in verses five and six that he left riches without number to be born within a cattle stall. And I love then the last two lines. This, the everlasting wonder, Christ was born the Lord of all. This should be an awe-inducing, wonder-generating reality for us. That the one whose glories knew no end took on flesh and he came to earth to taste our sadness. And that the one who left riches in heaven without number came to be born within a cattle stall. Yet we so easily take these truths for granted. Speaking maybe for myself a little bit here maybe for you as well. In the hustle and bustle of the Christmas season, we know that we should slow down and that we should meditate on these truths. And maybe we even feel guilty that we don't do that. But it can feel so routine. It can feel like we have to feel a certain way at Christmas time about Jesus' birth, that we have, this, we have to have this manufactured joy in our hearts. I think sadly, at least again for me, that causes me to not take the time to slow down and to meditate on these truths this week as I was preparing this message and especially meditating on the lines to this song and thinking about how these scripture passages tie together, just thinking about the glories of the incarnation for the first time, I finally picked up a copy of Athanasius of Alexandria's on the incarnation. It's a classic work from the early fourth century and I went and printed it off. And when I walked back into the office and showed it to James and told him that I hadn't read it yet, he said, how did they even ordain you if you haven't read Athanasius is on the incarnation? But I dug into it. I didn't read the whole thing. I read about the first half. It's not, it's not super long. Uh, you could probably read it in a, a couple hours, but uh, I actually put it on our, on our website. It's a free it's obviously in the public domain since it was written in the early 300s um so i have a pdf copy of it on our website if you go to our website and you go on the top right to resources it'll take you to a google drive uh our google drive page and it's in there if you're if you're interested in reading it uh just fascinating work on on christ's incarnation he talks about his death and his resurrection um but This is what Athens is kind of meditating on the wonders of the incarnation, especially as we look at that contrast in verses one, the lines one and two of the third verse of come thou long expected Jesus and and lines five and six. Athanasius says this, which I think is really helpful as we think about this. He's speaking of Jesus. He says existing in a human body to which he himself gives life. He is still source of life to all the universe present in every part of it, yet outside the whole and he is revealed both through the works of his body and through his activity in the world it is indeed the function of soul to behold things that are outside the body but it cannot energize or move them a man cannot transport things from one place to another for instance merely by thinking about them sorry luke skywalker he didn't say that obviously nor can you or I move the sun and the stars just by sitting at home and looking at them. With the word of God in his human nature, however, it was otherwise. His body was not for him a limitation, but an instrument. So that he was both in it and in all things and outside all things, resting in the Father alone. I'll pay attention to this last sentence. Athanasius says, at one and the same time, this is the wonder. As man, he was living a human life. And as word, he was sustaining the life of the universe. And as son, he was in constant union with the father. This is the wonder, he says. As man, Jesus was living a human life. At the same time, as word, he was sustaining the life of the universe. And at the same time, as son, he was in constant union with the father. Now that is a lot for us to try to wrap our heads around. This is the everlasting wonder that our song highlights. It's the everlasting wonder of the entire narrative of scripture how a people who had seen a great deliverance of their God on multiple occasions still looked forward to the day of ultimate deliverance, the appearing of a Messiah who would save them once and for all from their enemies. But what gets lost in this is that their physical enemies were not even the greatest enemies that they faced. The enemies of sin and death and the devil are the greatest enemies that need to be conquered. Consider the very beginning of the biblical narrative. Genesis chapter 4. After Adam and Eve sinned and after they're kicked out of the Garden of Eden, they're told that their work would now be hard. They're told that childbearing would be hard. The first children that are born to the now fallen, sin-stained parents, Cain, he's angry with God because God has regard for Abel's sacrifice and not his. And what does God tell Cain? God said to Cain, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And so it goes until this day for all of us. Sin is crouching at the door, seeking to master us, seeking to rule our lives. And death, Cain murders Abel, and then he thinks he can hide it from the Lord. The first physical human death is a reminder of the consequences of sin. And that brings us quite nicely to our passage in Isaiah chapter 25. We read verses 6 through 9, and we will consider those verses now. So if you can look with me at Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. The context here in Isaiah in chapters 24 and 25, it's talking about God's righteous judgment upon the nations. And in the middle of all this talk of judgment, we have these amazing verses here verses six through nine, which is this incredible promise of what the future holds for the people of God. Starts off in verse six on this mountain, the Lord of hosts. Okay, on this mountain, if we go. Back in Isaiah chapter 2, there was a vision of the nations being gathered to the Lord on this same mountain. This is clearly an end times vision of what will happen when Christ returns. And I love the imagery here because it's as if it's similar to the picture that we get in Luke chapter 15 of the feast that the father throws for the prodigal son who returns home famous scene where the son has squandered the inheritance he's gone off and when he is on his way home the father runs out to greet him they kill the fattened calf they throw this huge feast for him well here we have what we see when the people of israel the the rebellious people of israel come home when the rest of the nations are gathered together the lord will throw this this huge feast this feast of of rich food and well-aged wine it is the best of the best For those who are undeserving, and this will be a banquet that goes on for all of eternity. But before that happens, before this banquet can happen, something drastic needs to first take place. Before God's people can feast and they can celebrate, something else needs to happen. And we see that here in verses 7 and 8. God is going to do some things that cannot be undone by human will or exertion this is something that we have brought upon ourselves and something that we cannot fix there is as we see in verse 7 a covering that is cast over all the peoples and a veil that is spread over all the nations now there are several possible images here uh, that we are meant to call to mind the covering here could refer to a cloth that covers a dead body Uh, The veil could be a veil of mourning that is related uh, to that death uh, that in a sense contributes to the inability of that person to see clearly because they have a veil over their eyes. And most likely both of these images here of this covering and this veil are related to death as we see that God will swallow up the covering and the veil. And then verse 8, it says that he will swallow up death forever. This is one of those instances where we really need to understand what type of imagery this would have conjured up for Isaiah's readers. Listen to how one commentator describes this imagery. He says, The word picture of the Lord swallowing death is especially appropriate in its ancient Near Eastern context. Death is portrayed in both the Hebrew Bible and the Ugaritic myth as voraciously swallowing up its prey in the myths we read of death death having a lip to the earth a lip to the heavens and a tongue to the stars so there's this imagery of death swallowing up everything in its path then he goes on to to quote uh, one of the one of these ugaritic myths where death is kind of personified and deified and he concludes by saying how appropriate that the Lord swallows up the great swallower of mankind, putting an end to his reign of terror. So we need to ask then, how did the Lord plan to do this? How was he going to swallow up death? The reason I chose this passage is because of the first line in verse 3 of come thou long expected Jesus come to earth to taste our sadness. I don't think this verse is just saying that Jesus came to earth to experience human sadness so that he could better relate to us. Clearly he did experience sadness, but I think this is speaking ultimately of his death, which is probably what line three means when it says, by his life, he brings us gladness. This does not mean that Because Jesus lived an earthly life that we have gladness, just because he he lived. He tasted death by giving his life, by laying down his life and by sacrificing his life for us, he swallowed up death forever. I wanna quote from Athanasius one more time. Speaking of Jesus' incarnation and his death and his resurrection, he writes taking a body like our own. Because all our bodies were liable to the corruption of death, he surrendered his body to death instead of all and offered it to the father. This he did out of sheer love for us so that in his death all might die and the law of death thereby be abolished because having fulfilled in his body that for which it was appointed, it was thereafter voided of its power for men. This he did that he might turn again To incorruption, men who had turned back to corruption, and make them alive through death by the appropriation of his body and by the grace of his resurrection. Thus, he would make death to disappear from them as utterly as straw from fire. This is what Paul is speaking of in 1 Corinthians 15, that glorious chapter on the resurrection, when he speaks about the mystery of our bodies being transformed on the last day. And he says, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Paul says, speaking again of that day to come, he said, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Well, where is this saying written? Death is swallowed up in victory. It's right here in Isaiah 25, along with the promise right after that, that the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away from all the earth. And it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We
1: have waited for him. Let us, let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. picture here of the wiping away of the tears for, from eyes this is more than just
0: dabbing the eyes of a kid who fell down and skinned his knee or wiping the tears from someone who's heartbroken over a love relationship that has ended this is the sorrow and the sadness of death being utterly eaten up and wiped away the lord god has done this he has swallowed up death and wiped away our tears we still live in this fallen world where unless Jesus first returns, we and our loved, one, loved ones will also taste death and we will continue to taste the tears of sadness. If you've been around here and you hear us continually beating this drum over and over that there is this already and not yet reality in these truths. Death is swallowed up in victory. Glory. Hallelujah. And yet. We wait. We wait for the final consummation of all things on the last day. But praise be to God that this is not a mystery to us. We have a very clear picture of what God is doing and what he will do. I ended the message last Sunday by taking us to Revelation chapter 22 as we looked at the promise of Jesus coming. I think it's fitting again this week to end by looking at the end of our Bibles, this time one chapter earlier.
1: I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, John writes beginning
0: in verse 1. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. The God who took on flesh and dwelt among us through the incarnation of his son, as our song reminds us, our redeemer, shepherd, and friend, the one who left riches without number in heaven, to be born within a cattle stall. This is the everlasting wonder. Christ was born the Lord of all. And he died the Lord of all. And he rose again from the dead, the Lord of all. And he's returning the Lord of all, where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes for good. And death will be thrown into the lake of fire for good. So, this Christmas and New Year, as we look back for many of us at the end of a very difficult year, and as we look forward to a year with more uncertainties to come, let us be certain of this that our Savior reigns, that He has conquered death, and that He is coming again to make all things new. This is the wonder of our sadness tasting death swallowing savior
1: brothers and sisters let us rejoice and be glad in him let us pray father we praise you for these truths we praise you that you have swallowed
0: up death that through the death and resurrection of your son death has been defeated and we can confidently say death where is your victory where is your sting and we can rejoice in the life that we have the resurrection life that we have as we wait for the coming of our savior as we wait for death to be fully and finally defeated and thrown into the lake of fire God, help us as we anticipate that day. Help us to wait in joyful hope for the coming of our Savior. Help us to long and help us, God, as we go out from here. As we go and we live our lives among those who do not know you, among those who are longing for deliverance in the wrong places. God, may we speak of you. May we speak Clearly, may we speak boldly the salvation that can be found in Christ, of the victory over the grave that he has won, that he has fully secured. Y'all may your name be honored and glorified in us and through us as the truths
1: of your word are lived out in our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.